Hello and welcome to the Black Women Working Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again today. How are we doing, everyone? Good. good. Yes, good. Our oh, energy sounds a bit flat. What's going on, guys? No, we're here. No, we're good. We out here. We out here. Good. Good. All right. So just a quick reminder to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our social media handles are at BWWPodcastUK. Okay, so we're going to be doing things a bit differently today and even though I don't like change I must admit change is good everyone knows I do not like change we are so happy to be stop laughing at me Tolls are you laughing at me? me it wasn't even me it was Rachel still oh I was laughing okay. at you Nat okay thanks I thought the whole point of the of the podcast was to encourage change we need change but you know me I don't I don't like the change you know I don't like the change but anyway this is definitely like a Natalie A Carter certified good change so it's a different <laughs> It's definitely a change that I'm back in. Um, we are so happy to be joined by Opieme Sofaluke, who is the co-author of the newly published book, Twice as Hard, Navigating Black Stereotypes and Creating Spaces for Success. Everyone just say hi to Opieme, please. Hi. hi. Congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. No, it's welcome. our pleasure. Thank you for coming. Okay, so I'm just going to talk about you for a little bit, but if I get any of these facts that I Googled from your bio, wrong please feel free to correct me <laughs> you know so opma is the regional lead for diversity and inclusion um she's a program manager at facebook and oh my gosh she's a project manager at facebook and she with her husband she runs a uk black business show um this event provides a unique and exciting space for people and organizations to network discuss and take action on advancing the development of ethnic minorities in the uk so that's all things that we can get behind 110 percent so um we just kind of wanted to have you on the podcast thank you for reaching out just to kind of talk about the book which we've all read I think the book was published earlier in June if that's right yeah 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 so the first thing I wanted to just ask was just to kind of like firstly just talk about you your own career journey and kind of like Mm -hmm. where you started how you've ended up you know as a diversity manager and kind of like where you see your career going Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so firstly, thank you again for having me. Um, and so my career journey has been an interesting one um, and definitely linking it just back to this whole notion of that we have to work twice as hard. Um, when I was at uni, I was very aware that the job market was so competitive. And so um, I was quite early in looking for jobs in my first year of uni and I thought right mm. if I want to make mm. myself attractive as a um, as a potential candidate um, I have to have a strong CV um, and being a black woman and being a minority at uni I already saw how some of my course mates would just have in some ways I would say low expectations of me and so yeah. there was always that determination to show people like it's okay you can look at me how you like I'll, I'll just I'll just do what I have to do. Um, So when I was in my first year of uni, I interned at Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. um, And in my second year of uni, I did an internship at JP Morgan um, in the credit risk division. Mm. Um, And so coming out of that internship, I was successful and was offered a job. So that was my entry into corporate and into the investment banking world. Mm -hmm. So when I graduated, thank God, I was able to start working straight away. And I went into JP Morgan as a trade support analyst, supporting equities and equity derivative groups. 
But for me, that wasn't a passion, you know. Going into this industry, I was one of two black women on the programme. And straight away, you know, you you knew you were different. You knew you stood out. As much as you tried to twang up your accent to to be the the most posh version of yourself, you just knew that you, you stood out. I knew I stood out. Um, and also the work I was doing wasn't something I was super passionate about. Um, and so eventually I started getting involved in volunteer programs and business resource groups outside of my day to day. And eventually there was a position in the technology for social goods, diversity and inclusion team, which for me was right up my street, being someone okay. that's passionate about people, passionate about giving back. And that's how I found my journey or found my way into the DNI world um, and I haven't looked back since. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, just kind of leading on from that, like, how, you know, how did you come up with the idea with your husband, Raphael, to kind of write the book? And how did you kind of get it from an idea that was in your head or discussed between you, like, Mm. into a book that's now on the shelves? Yeah, you know, sometimes I look at the book, and I'm like, I cannot actually believe that this, this book exists. Um, but it was a conversation like rap has always been passionate in it, like have, has always wanted to write a book. Um, mm-hmm. And so he had an idea that he had shared with me and he had shared with his agent. And whilst it was a good idea, we were like, do you know what? I think there's more that we can explore. I think we can definitely dig deeper. So in a conversation we had, you know, he was just, you know, explaining and talking about his experiences at work and I was sharing my own experiences. Mm-hmm. And in that conversation, a phrase that a lot of black people always say, a phrase that we've grown up knowing is twice as hard. And he just goes, you know what, Ops, it's just twice as hard. And I was like, it really is. And, you know, in that, he was like, maybe maybe this is what it should be, twice as hard. And then that's how the idea kind of was planted. And then we started discussing, actually, maybe this is something we can do together. As a black woman, there's a different perspective I offer working in diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. There's a different kind of perspective that I could bring. And then of course, him being a black man, the experience of running a business, but also working in organizations. Um, and so that's kind of how the idea came about. And so we shared it um, with, with the agent. We we worked on a proposal mm-hmm. um, and then we came back. There was interest. So this was this was towards the end of 2019 is when we had this idea. Um, And then 2020, you know, it started to really pick up and there was interest and we loved DK, um, our publisher and how, you know, engaged and interested they were also in supporting this idea. Um, and And it really took off from there. Okay, good, good, good. Well, I'm glad that you did it and I'm glad that we have something like this. So we're gonna get into the book because We've we've got a few points that we would really love to discuss. I think, um, first of all, starting off with more specific points, one of the points that Tolls really wanted to discuss was the idea of, like, branding versus, like, public, you know, assumption. And I think we spend a lot of time on the podcast talking about how people treat us based on what they assume that we are, whether that mm. manifests itself in terms of microaggressions or the way we communicate with senior members or other colleagues and things like that. And so I know the book talks a lot about what you can do to kind of like get ahead of that public perception. Mm-hmm. I mean, how important do you think it is for, well, because we're a black women working podcast, we kind of always return the focus, not in a narcissistic way, but back to black women. Like how important do you think it is for black women in professional realms to go above and beyond to basically prove that they're not what the public assume in a way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, because of the environments that we work in, especially when you're working in a corporate world, 
in as much as we shouldn't have to go above and beyond, it's a burden that we still in many ways carry. And I think when we talk about black identity in the workplace, when we talk about branding, it's a really interesting topic because really what we're doing is exploring what our black identity means to us as a black person. But then again, the other side of that coin really is what does my black identity mean to my colleagues? How am I being perceived? How does what I say land, you know, because of who I am? And really what you find when it comes to branding or when it comes to your identity in the workplace, it becomes a juggling act of dispelling stereotypes, as you've rightly pointed out, but also setting the brands that we want to, we want people to see. Um, and so what I found and, when, and what we talk about in the, in the book is a lot around being intentional about how we brand ourselves. And whether it's, you know, mm. in, in the way we display our work or in the interactions we have or in the relationships we try to build or mm. in our appearance, it, there's this element or this need for us to be so intentional because of the fact that people often prejudge us. And, you know, there's so much research out there which shows that we tend to be judged more harshly than our white counterparts. In the book, I share an example of, you know, coming into the working world, I was very, you know, intentional about being on time because black people being late is a stereotype we're all, we all hear of when it comes mm-hmm. to the black community. <laughs> and, and just one time I was late to work one time and for whatever reason my manager remembered it when Mm. I came in I was like oh sorry I'm late and I said like good morning and he says good afternoon Mm. but then there were colleagues that consistently would Mm -hmm. show up late Mm -hmm. and so it's like how do I you know how do I ensure that I'm perceived in the way that I want people to perceive Mm. me and so that of course there's a lot of work Mm. No, yeah, sorry. sorry, sorry to interrupt. Go on, finish up. No, no, I was just saying there's a lot of work that, that we do as black women and also as black men to, to not be perceived in line with what those stereotypes are. See, I that 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 point in the book stood out to me and I know mm. I actually noted the fact that I feel that there's a power play that we allow to exist. And of course, you know, from it's not your dad's company, you are going to be held to account to some end. Mm -hmm. And we reflected on the book and we spoke about, you know, how we would feel about some of the things we've read um, if it was 10 years ago, because we appreciate that we stand from a different perspective, being that we are 10 years plus into our careers. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like, especially as a working mum right now, the whole Mm -hmm. idea of being sorry, obviously respect, there's respect and, you know, manners and whatever. But sorry, I'm late. The train was running late. That's as much as I'm going to be sorry for. You know, I've I've had jobs where childcare crosses over with start time, and it's like, well, I'm a working mum. The two go hand in hand. I can't be sorry every day. But there's something about sort of how we play into the power dynamics of those relationships and allowing them to sort of fester as it were that's one one point i wanted to make and the other point on on that sort of branding section and that and what you've said just now is where do you think this falls into the concept of 
real versus whole versus best because you spoke about Mm -hmm. and we've spoken about also about being our authentic selves in the Mm -hmm. workplace and there were parts that I read and I thought but who's the market here so if you work for yourself and you're Mm. and you're an entrepreneur your market might be you know it might be mostly black it might be mostly female it might be mostly family whatever it is or if you've been employed into a workplace because they need diversity then playing ourselves down that doesn't actually speak true to for me I don't think I feel like that doesn't speak true to authenticity although I did enjoy the breakdown of real versus whole self real self versus whole self versus best mm-hmm. self yeah so where does that land with you yeah so I think that there's a time and a place for everything and I think whether that's as a black entrepreneur of a black owned business with other black staff you're still going to be a version of yourself. You might be the work version of yourself because you can't be kiki and with your colleagues all the time Mm -hmm. because they may not take you seriously. So what I think is, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a matter of us playing ourselves down. It's a matter of us understanding the environment we're in and then again, bringing our best selves to that environment. So for example, at work, and I've actually got a post on my Instagram where I'm like smiling and there's three versions of me smiling. There's like this, ah, like really up there jumping. And that's a, that's a version of me. And my really close friends will tell, will say, Opiemi is an extrovert. But me personally, I would probably say I'm an ambivert. I can be extroverted. I can be introverted. It really depends on the scenario, the circumstances mm-hmm. and who I'm with. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at the work environment, it's not about being a fake version of yourself no it's about being your best self in that environment and when actually when you talk about authentic self the reality is and I said this in the book if people were if everybody was to actually bring their authentic self to work it could be problematic Mm -hmm. and I say this for a certain reason like some people have political views that are just not very agreeable some people have you know have certain behaviors and characteristics that in the work environment, it wouldn't serve them well. And Mm -hmm. so maybe outside of work, you know, they may be someone who is very straight talking, you know, they, they don't take any rubbish and that's fine. It's okay to be like that. But when you come to work, the way you display that is in a tailored way, right? You can't just say to your manager, Oh, you're chatting rubbish. But when you're at home or when you're with your friends, you will tell your friends straight up, Oh, you're chatting rubbish. But so it's about how can I bring myself to work, but then how how must I now understand the environment so that I can still be myself without playing myself down, but the best version of myself in this context, you know? Does that, how, how does that land? What do you think? Yeah, 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 no, I totally get, I totally understand. And I did, I did read on, actually, you reminded me. So I, I think when I first read it, I was like, hmm, question mark. Mm-hmm. And then you actually have explained that concept in the book, mm-hmm. to be fair. Yeah. And I think in the book, I used the example of being like supporting Liverpool football mm-hmm, club. Yeah. <laughs> and like in some work environments, you can't necessarily sharpen a football kit. Like, oh, mm. if, you're, if it's, a, if it's an, <laughs> an environment where you have to wear formal wear, you can't come up and, yeah, I'm just going to wear my Liverpool kit today. But what you can do is bring a mug and that mug can be yeah. a Liverpool mug. And like you can you still use that mug, you still show that yes, this is part of my identity or this is part of mm. who I am, but you've tweaked it for the environment in that you're in in that specific moment. Mm, it's kind of like an icebreaker without it being overtly so. And I feel yeah. like um 
<clears throat> as black people, a lot of us do kind of need to actually think strategically about how to do things like that in order to connect with our white colleagues because a lot of us have grown up around people the same of, as us with the same experiences mm. as us experiences as us and often we struggle to kind of um cross that bridge in terms of relating to our colleagues um especially maybe our caucasian colleagues or colleagues of other races and just kind mm -hmm. of knowing how to f build those genuine um and natural connections in the workplace and inevitably those connections are the things that later play a part in you know when you're going for promotion or you're trying to get recommended for this that and the other you do actually need to form a relationship with people and i really liked that um that that was highlighted in the book as well because i feel like a lot of us are just literally taught to work twice as hard and we're not mm. taught to focus on the mm. relationships that we also need mm -hmm. to build in the, in the workplace but i won't go to too much detail in, in terms of that because i believe that we're going to touch upon it a bit later yeah I think I, I think to be fair, Tolls, that kind of leads nicely into the next point about in terms of like hard work versus, you know, invis invisibility. And I think this is something that kind of really resonated with me a lot, because I know that at the beginning of my career, I was very, very focused on making sure that I was the first person there and the last person to leave, you know, that kind of mm. stuff. But I wasn't very, I don't feel like I was very intentional about saying because when you work when you're a trainee solicitor you have um a direct supervisor who you do some work for but also you're a resource to the department so you can be working for up to three or four or five different fee earners who are all giving you different work and your supervisor doesn't really have visibility on exactly what you're doing and i remember when i had like my first appraisal he tried to give me some average mark and so i went back to him and i said look I don't know what I don't know what vim I had when I was like 24 but I went back to him and I said look I'm not being funny but you know I've done like x y and z and I've worked for this person and I've worked for that person obviously I left it too late because I waited until like the, the formal appraisal meeting had happened and I'd got the feedback um form back and I just looked at this and thought no I'm not a free I'm a formate you need to correct it mm -hmm. but that kind of showed me that when when you don't really speak about what you're doing or you're not really transparent about what you're doing people don't assume that you're doing the most if that makes sense mm -hmm. and there's always like a fine line between knowing when to speak and not trying to look like you're boasting if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah i agree Nat. i think i've found that quite difficult as well during my career like knowing how to talk about what i've done and knowing how to show certain things that I've done, whether that be stats or if I say something in a team meeting, like knowing how to push that and show my colleagues what I'm really worth, but not boast at the same yeah. time. Because I feel like there's yeah. just like, a, there's still that kind of, the, even though the book, I feel like the book doesn't explicitly touch on it, there is still kind of very much that kind of respectability play in the sense of mm. when you're in these professional environments and you're one or few other black people, you ain't trying to rock the boat. Mm -hmm. So you're literally trying to keep your head down and basically survive because no one's really, at certain points in your career, it takes a lot of confidence to put your head above the, was it parapet? Whatever parapet, it's called. yeah. Yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. you know, say, actually I did this and actually I, d I did that and actually I did this. And so sometimes I feel like a lot of not being able to talk about what you've done, even though you have done a lot, is because maybe we're not still entirely comfortable in these environments and we're not really yeah. we're not yeah. really fully accepted in these environments. It's like I ain't trying to draw more attention to myself 
I'm just trying to get my salary and survive, if that makes sense, and it not does. be taken for a dickhead, if that makes sense. And I think yeah. it plays into that whole thing of imposter syndrome as well, because sometimes it's not even about mm. the work environment. It's about mm. how we internally view ourselves mm-hmm. and not mm. feeling worthy, not feeling like we're supposed to be where we are. And so we're kind of stuck in that kind of mentality mm. that I would say maybe... Um, our parents' generation had where it's everlastingly grateful. Um, So we don't want to kind of speak about any of our achievements or we don't believe even that our achievements are achievements. We're just like, oh, I'm so happy to be here. And yes, I did that little bit of extra work, but yes, Massa, I did did do that. But, you know, I'm just, ultimately, I'm just so thankful, (laughs) you know, to be here. So it, it, it never even tracks in our mind that actually oh I did a great job on this thing and I should tell somebody about it and it, it comes back to the cultural thing again of just like not only in a work environment are we not kind of encouraged to kind of speak out and be um, tenacious mm-hmm. in that respect but culturally uh, amongst our peers amongst our family they mm-hmm. would they might even have discouraged it and kind of just said just go there do your job come home don't you know don't make any waves or anything like that's not what you're here to do so that i feel like that feeds into that whole invisibility thing although i do Mm. think it's changing for our generation Mm. and we're becoming Mm -hmm. louder and prouder about the things that we're doing but still Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome i feel like linkedin to be honest and social media are helping a lot with that because Mm -hmm. people are having people are sharing by their very nature you know what they're doing like if they go Tesco's, they share it. If they go and get their hair cut, I'm I'm not dragging anyone because sometimes I snap in Tesco's as well as so like, but I think that kind of confidence to share does naturally flow over into work into work. And then LinkedIn for me personally provides a forum where I can discuss the things that I'm doing and share the things that I'm doing. Or alternatively, things are shared about me if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I I still mm-hmm. feel like you know in a real life it's very different to go to a manager and say, I did this and I did that and I did this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I because think we're taught to be humble, isn't it? Not to be boastful. Yeah. I, I agree. And it's something we address. I think it's something that you have to learn to do. It, sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't come naturally to you to blow your own trumpet. Um, and in the book, we talk about working hard and making noise. And we also touch on like, don't just work hard, work smart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think I for agree. me, you know, coming from a Nigerian background, and my parents have been super supportive of my education and my career. And one thing they always always emphasize, you know, was work hard, you know. So I think it's something culturally that I could identify with. But I think as we transition into the workplace or like university is another place where you can work hard and the grades will speak for themselves, right? But exactly. when you get into the workplace, mm-hmm. there's a lot more to it than working hard. Mm-hmm. And I think what a lot of black people now have to sort of understand is how working hard actually translates in the working world and so whilst there's the working hard of delivering results working on your projects working on your assignments the other side of that is the social and relationship base of working hard and how to build social capital and I think a lot of us don't realize that yes we have to work hard and our manager has to see our work but who are the other stakeholders that we engage Mm -hmm. with right Mm -hmm. who are the other leaders that we cross paths with who are the other colleagues in different teams that we partner with and how can we start to solicit and use their feedback to also demonstrate what we're contributing to to the organization Um, and also coupled with that is how are you keeping record of what you do because yes everyone gets those yearly reviews or it might be bi-yearly for some companies but have 
those receipts. So when it comes to it, you're not in a position where you're scratching your head and thinking, oh my gosh, I know I've delivered, but what have I done? Because really and truly we work so hard and sometimes we don't capture what we're doing, but we know we're delivering. Mm -hmm. So make sure you have that, whether it's an Excel sheet where you're just documenting the month, the yeah, date, the project, the impact, and what so, and what you've done. So when it comes to it, you have examples that you can call upon because it doesn't come naturally, even for me to say, yeah, I've been doing this, that, and the other. And then again, added to that is the politics of work, learning to lobby and rally support, mm-hmm. you know, for for for, the, for all the work you do. And I think a lot of us. Some of those things don't come naturally or we don't even have those relationships that exist where we have someone that would speak up for us. And so that, again, that's where it, it were required or that there is a need for us to be intentional, right? Yeah. It's into, mm, go for it. Yeah. I, I think to be fair with you, it's about like that continue, I call it like CPD because I actually have to do CPD, which is a drag, but is what it is. Like continuous professional development like Mm. you're always learning something new no deal is the same as the one one before but more importantly it's like sitting back and really taking the time to assess and be observant about who has you know power how how the relationships work between people and who the influential people are and sometimes as well like someone may have a position like your manager may have a position but when you actually look at your manager's manager and you take time and look back and you can be like wow my manager actually doesn't have any power. He doesn't really have any influence. Mm -hmm. The person that has the real influence is the person that is the level ahead of him, or alternatively is the person that is in a different department. So it's always about like literally, like literally, literally, literally sitting back and thinking, what is this? You you have to see it as like a Game of Thrones situations. I know that's like really extreme (laughs) because that show is really violent, but you always have to be, you always have to be strategized, and that's one thing I liked about the book. Because after I read it, I was like, "These times I have not strategized my career in a hot minute." Mm. But that's because you know I'm yeah. working crazy hours. Next, so I'm not, I cannot be, you know, going into that. But I think that kind of is like a nice segue into like, you know, the white cosine, mm. and like, I agree with what was said in the book to a point, but it just mm-hmm. didn't sit right with me because I I have like I find in general I have an issue with this with this concept basically that not nothing gets done but things don't get done or things don't get um pushed forward or people don't get into certain place into certain places without a white cosine and i think for me while it was kind of correct in the sense of you know if we're looking at just playing on a figures basic basis majority of management team are always going to be white they're always going to be male they're probably going to be over 50 nine times out of ten probably going to be um, heterosexual, cis. It only seems to make sense that someone who would be your sponsor, who's going to be in a position of influence, is going to be white. But it, it I don't know, it, like, it just didn't sit right in my, in my spirit that in order for me to progress, I have to get a white person to tick a box or to decide to back me or to, like, be my ally. It just didn't... Maybe it's because yeah, in my and I head... Think- Sorry, in in my head, I'm a little bit delusional in terms of like, you know, there are black people in leadership and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But it was the truth, but it's just like, ah, not. Am I making sense? You're not, yeah, Yeah, you're not delusional at all. I think. What what I think what I think is important to understand is we're not saying you need a white person to get ahead. That's not what we're saying. Hmm. But what we're saying in these industries or in these organizations where we are the minority, in order for change to occur, 
allies need to to, to rise up yeah. because if if the allies if the people at the top are not supporting diversity if the people at the top are not hiring diverse talent if the people at the top are not using the key to open the door then what you're going to find is people are still outside that door someone has to open it and whoever whoever opens that door has to be on the inside of the house right so mm. we're not necessarily saying that right you need to depend on allies for change but what what i am personally saying is that allies need to rise up so that change can happen and change can happen quickly and change can happen effectively because ultimately whether we like it or not when we look at the ceos of the FTSE 100 company how many black people are there zero mm -hmm. Right, yeah, not so, even on boards. There's hardly any black people on boards, even as non-exec director positions. Yeah, right, as well. Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. So for me, it's there's a need for allies to be on board or people who are passionate about seeing change to be on board and partner with the black community, support the black community, be active in their allyship and not just vocal. Right, so that we can start to see this change, and like when it comes to leadership, I've been privileged to have mentors who are not just white. I've had a Pakistani mentor as well, and he was a senior MD. But again, he faced similar challenges, and he shared those challenges with me. He said, "Ops, there's not a lot of us, right?" And we were identifying with with one another on an ethnic minority level, mm -hmm. and we know that even as a black woman, what I'm facing is different to what he faces as a Pakistani man because he still has the privilege of being a man, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we, when we say this, I think what we're trying, or what I personally can say, what I am highlighting is there is a need for partnership when you, when you want there or when you want to see real change. Yeah, and just on that note, because like, I, I, I really enjoyed reading the book, especially in terms of like reading the different perspectives from people. And one of the perspectives actually I pulled out on that kind of white cosan note mm. was the analogy or the example that Shelley gave um, in terms of how she approached things. And mm. um, this was about finding, you know, white allies who allies sorry who are supportive of her goals um mm -hmm. and the thing is she would approach them before meetings mm -hmm, in order mm -hmm. that in the meeting these people kind of went up op operating as ops to her so to speak mm -hmm. but they were backing up what she was saying and eventually over time um the people that she wanted to listen to in those meetings gradually grew a respect and value for her opinion now i'm not going to say that i liked that scenario that she presented or that I would necessarily do that. I found it a very challenging um, approach. I don't think that I personally could do that because I feel like it would kind of diminish my integrity as a person somewhat. I feel like, but then on the flip side, I'm also a kind of person that understands when other people need to play the game and they're playing what's mm. in front of them. If that's the way that she felt she needed to um, take in order to get to the position where she is, then that's not something that I would begrudge anybody. But that's one of the things that I really liked about the book is because people approach their career trajectory in very different ways and how they progress in different ways. And I think that's one mm. of the key points is everyone has to decide from themselves what their mm. boundaries are, what their parameters are, and not do anything that compromises what they will ultimately think of themselves at the end of the day. And I think mm. a lot of people in work context sometimes do things that compromises themselves and then that plays out at a later date and sometimes it plays out negatively um towards them as well because other people have picked up that they weren't being their authentic self or they were playing the game 
So I thought it was just very you know what, interesting. Like, I think I, I'm I not think... against people who who play the game. I, I'm all here for them. Like play play to play to the checkers fall off the board because at the end of the day, no, because people are trying to secure the bag for their family, yep. secure the bag for their lives. Like I have to just put you know I have to put some respect on it in the sense of like. It's not for me, so I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. But when I look back at my career, if I could have played the game, I don't know where my mental health would be, but I don't... I don't think I would have been as stressed out as I've been at periods and times in my career, if that Go makes on, sense. Sure. I don't think that these situations are as orchestrated as they seem when we're reading them black and white on the paper. And actually a lot of these relationships happen naturally by way, just by way of being. If someone likes you, if someone sees your work, you, there are times where you are just recognized. So my current job, my first mentor who mentored me 10 years ago called me and said, you know, we need someone. This seems like what you want. You fit the bill, come, let's do this. And so it wasn't a real explicit, you know, is there a job, is there my goal? You know, this is my goal, get me in. It, it was very, very natural. And so I think that just falls into like the idea of Again, even the word networking, you know, there's a section on, in the book on networking and, and what we do with networking. And some of those, some networking situations are very sort of sterile and thought about, and we know we're all here to hand out business cards. And others are just about maintaining good relationships. Um, so I don't think it's always as like cut and dry as mm -hmm. I'm looking for a mentor. I want this person to push my goal. But what I will say on the branding side, which I really enjoyed sort of thinking about in the book, and I know we've touched on it with the authenticity um, conversation, but how you brand yourself. When we think about branding, we usually think about our organizations. We think about logos and color schemes and whatever. But the personal branding in that when I step into this building, you know that this is my goal. This is where I want to be. It can speak for itself through your work and through your attitude mm. and so just to touch on toll's points like the other day i was listening to um a debate with eddie nesta and he was talking about the fact that black women are overlooked once they're past the age of 50 and my partner and i were discussing the fact that maybe it's because some people are not interested you get to a point and that could be by by the way of their experience in the workplace but you get to a point where you're like, Chuck, I'm just going to come, earn my coin and go. Mm -hmm. And that's the aura, the vibration that you put out. And so that's what comes back. But if part of your brand is that people really know where you stand in this organisation and your career path, um, the whole idea of allyship isn't necessarily, I've got to find the white person who's pumping their fist saying they're pro-black, or I've mm -hmm. got to be really specific in saying this is what I want so an ally can follow me. I think sometimes it comes naturally mm -hmm. yeah and, and just, just to... i wanted to go, go ahead of me oh thank you i just wanted to add um to the point around shelly um mm. i think what we have to understand is it's not matter it's not so much a matter of integrity mm. i think it's more so a matter of leveraging the relationship she had built in the board or across the board and what you find i don't know if you've ever been in this situation as a black woman you've been in meetings and you're the only black person in the room in some cases you're the only woman and several times you've tried to make a point no one has really given you that chance or when you eventually make your point everyone's silent like you didn't speak or like the point you made was irrelevant or you've made your point and people act like you didn't say anything and then somebody else perhaps a white male colleague 
says the same mm -hmm. thing you said, repackages it, and everyone's nodding in agreement. So what I think, you know, when, when, when she gave that example, for me, it was more so about leverage the relationships you have so that when you make a point, other people either reinforce it, or if there is an incident where you're trying to make a point and people cut you off, then again, you're able to actually make your point and be heard. Um, and in many ways, I haven't used that particular example in my life just yet, but I have had a mentor at work where I wanted to speak to one of my senior MDs about something. And my mentor was good friends with that MD. And so I spoke to her about the situation. I said, what do you think? I wanted to get your thoughts on it. She said, do you know, I think this is a very valid point. In fact, I have a one-to-one -one with her later on this afternoon. And I will, you know, I'll mention, I'll, like, I'll touch on this, or if this comes up, I'll like reinforce it. And then later on, when I eventually met with that MD, the fact, because because of the fact that my mentor had met with her and had touched on the point, it helped me in my conversation. And so sometimes we have to leverage the relationships we have in order sometimes to be heard. It, it is unfortunate that that might be the case. But again, it goes back to the point of twice as hard. And that is some of the challenges that we face in an organisation. So really, how do we find solutions around these things? Mm. And I understand your point, Ari Shelley, actually, because when I read that, I was like, mm, that's very smart. That's an interesting way of approaching it. I wouldn't say that particular um, approach or scenario was one where I thought would compromise my integrity. I might feel a bit uncomfortable I have, or indignant. That's more the word. I might feel indignant at having to take that step because I'm just like, why can't you just listen to me? But again, I really believe sometimes in playing the game. It's not every hill that I choose to die on. If there's an easy way around, sometimes I'm just going to take it because I know where I'm going to. I think one mm. of the things um, or scenarios that she presented actually specifically, which just caused me immense discomfort, I'll be perfectly honest with you, was in the Navigating White Spaces chapter, where she spoke mm. about um, facing a microaggression. I think it was with regards to her hair and then kind of integrating, the, not, I wouldn't say integrating, just kind of questioning the person as to why they thought that way. And then talking about how she turned it into a joke to make, to dispel the awkwardness of the situation. And I'm not mm. going to lie to you, that, that situation didn't really, or the way she personally approached that didn't sit right with me because I feel like there's certain things that I, I can just never turn it into a joke if it's actually going to yeah. harm your perception of me, not just your perception of me, but the wider society's perception of me because they're seeing you do these things. And then after I've kind of challenged you on it, I'm just doing kiki ki afterwards. And for me, I thought it was interesting. And I really sat with that. And I thought about the ways in which people of different generations have had to kind of deal or navigate as the chapter was white spaces i'm not sure as someone born in the 80s and you know growing up in the 90s and the 2000s that i would approach that scenario in that way in fact i know for a fact i'm not i'm just going to call it out and say are you mad but in a professional way do you know what i mean but i do <laughs> acquiesce that people of different generations who grew up in different working contexts maybe working in the 80s and 90s really couldn't have the tenacity the audacity to say something like that because it would turn into a much bigger issue than if I in 2021 said that today and I just thought it was 
quite interesting how, you know, some people have come to the places where they are in their career by understanding the times that they live in and approaching the the difficulties or barriers before them in the way that they felt was best and ultimately got them to the place that they wanted to go. And I guess what I wanted to ask you, Apoemi, is have there ever been situations where you know how you feel in your heart about it you don't like it you find it really distasteful but ultimately you've you've decided you've come to a conclusion within yourself that actually mm, i have to i have to i don't know what the word is to say it but i just kind of have to play into it a little bit and and just kind of i don't know there, there is a word that i want to call it but perhaps it's not fair on that person to be honest with you but i mean mm -hmm. it does feel a bit like a dancing on the I, don't, I can't even remember the analogy right now to be honest with you but it's kind of just like I just get the image of like a smiling black person saying yes massa basically yeah. in that scenario and I think because I've been in the, the discussions I know it's not that personally from my perspective at all I think it's more so understanding in I can't speak to that instance because I wasn't there mm -hmm. but how I received it was more so like you still correct the person and first time round you might correct them in a, in a light-hearted way so it's not as awkward but definitely the second time round or if it repeats itself you check it in a very direct way um but for me personally I have had instances at work um where people have said things um definitely when I was um in the investment banking industry um and I found that a lot of the times I would address it I might not say it in like a like how dare you kind of thing mm. but I would similar honestly similar to that approach I would ask questions so that I again refer to an example that I used where I changed my hair at work I had braids and mm. then I came in and I had a bob and my hair was in a weave and it was styled in a bob and my colleague said to me oh Opiemi you've changed your hair you look a lot smarter like mm -hmm. he said you know I like that you look a lot mm -hmm. smarter with your yes. hair like that Mm. And in my mind, I said, smarter? <laughs> yeah, and hell no. I was, mm -mm. I was really confused. And so what I did, in similar to how it was approached in the example you referenced, I asked him a question. I said, oh, what do you mean by smarter? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. was my hair not smart before? And he started to backtrack and he started Don't to worry. stumble over his uh, words. Uh, 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 so it wasn't I made... Yeah, it wasn't necessarily that I made a joke. And again, when Shirley was given that example, it's not always that she would make a joke, but you, you start to ask questions and you dig deeper. Yes. And as you're asking them those questions, they actually feel dumb for, for what they've said. Yep. And yep. so you start pressing like, okay, so what do you mean? Or so when you say that, how, how does that apply? Or like she gave a really good example as well in the book where she talks, and I don't, I don't know if we wrote it in the book, but where she talks about sometimes employers talk about lowering the bar when they're recruiting diverse talent, oh, but we can't lower the bar. Yeah. And she's like, hold on, wait a minute. What do you mean by lowering the bar? Like, so are you trying to imply? So it's like you dig deeper, you ask those questions and maybe, you know, it's not necessarily making a joke out of it, but it's more so you, you put it back on the person, you start questioning them and they come to that realization like, actually, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that, right? Um, And so... I guess that's an example for me personally where I've had to approach a situation. I might have not gone in all guns blazing because I still want to keep my job, you know, and I still, and, and I still have to be, again, conscious of the stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing about being a black woman. 
when we have to deal with these situations, it's very important. How do we, how do we handle it? And that doesn't mean you have to like be a sellout. But what it does mean is you have to be conscious of the approach you use, the language you use, the tone, because it's so easy for people to look at just the slightest thing um, and exaggerate because because you're a black woman. Yeah, but the thing is, for me, this is this is where like for me, parts of the book get slightly frustrating for me because I feel like how much longer are we going to have to tap dance, and when are we going to be in a position where we, as black women, can hold yeah. institutions to account and can call this behaviour out? Because mm. Obviously, similar to you, I've had a corporate career since I was 23. I'm now 33. That's 10 years of my life. That has been a very, still remains to be a very stressful process because working in these corporate environments, it's not for the faint-hearted, period, right? So then add on top of that, all the different dynamics and jigs and TikTok dances and this and that that I have to do to communicate with people, okay, that's a level. But then also having to deal with the fact that people may have opinions and attitudes towards me that I absolutely or think they can treat me a certain way because of the colour of my skin. And I find it most, to be honest, with junior staff members who feel like they don't need to treat me with respect because mm. I'm a black woman. But that's a separate episode for a separate day. <laughs> like, how much longer am I going to have to do dirty wine on my head to survive? <laughs> when are we going to... No, but it's true. Like, when it's are we true. When I go into my appraisal... I, you know, I'm judged by the same standard as everyone else, but I'm having, like you said, the title of the book, obviously, twice hard. I am losing maybe 20 to 30% of my productivity and my peace of mind, having to navigate the fact that people are making assumptions about me, that people are taking their racist attitudes into the workplace, and there's nothing I can do about it. And I thought it was very interesting. I can't remember whether you or your husband said, basically, you had an issue with a, um, a supervisor who you, who you could blatantly see was not treating you properly. You was it Raphael? He then yeah. raised the issue, and then he gets put on a performance plan, and it's just mm, like mm, mm, it's just kind yeah, of like what? Mm. To your point, so I, think... I get it, it to a point, but then in the same breath, I'm kind of like, well, where where does where do we kind of stop the curve of this? Because I think it seems to me to be you know corporately successful, there's so much demanded of you, and not a lot of you know. Ret not retribution or restitution for that, if that makes Return. sense. Yeah. Return, yeah. yeah. That reflects think, your effort. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And to put into context, I personally, Raphael and I do not propose or encourage that anybody tap dances for, <laughs> you know, for, for these institutions. I think what we try to do is that we there's a recognition and an appreciation of the fact that it is twice as hard. We open up saying, look, these are some of the stats. These are some of the scenarios. And then what we've also done for us is shared our examples of how have we developed in our career? How have we achieved success? But not only focused on ourselves, we've interviewed 40 other people to say, listen, we want to find out how you guys have done it. And we've done it across various industries. Yes, we're both in corporate and obviously rap has a business. Um, I also have a business, but you know, he's, he's worked both sides. Um, and yes, we've spoken to people across various industries. And for me, it's not a matter of, oh, I'm going to shrink myself so I can survive. That's far from what we're saying. What we're, what we're trying to do here is identify what those stereotypes are and how can we navigate around these? How can we continue to perform and deliver? So we talk about things like, you know, using your voice. We talk about things like branding or networking or building the relationships. The reality is, is when it comes to these 
corporations, we are a minority. And how can we, for, for me, I felt, look, when it came to writing this book, I wanted to create a toolkit or a resource that would have helped me when I started my career. A lot of the mm. advice that we see in this book, I didn't have when I started in industry. And I had to learn a lot of these things the hard way. So if mm. I can use my experiences as well as the experiences of others to make that experience for someone else that bit easier, if I can use the insight, the advice, the wisdom of others to make that experience that bit easier for for another black professional or a young black business owner, then that is what we're going to do. So I think when you look at the book holistically, what work, what our mission is and what our aim was, was to address, yes, these are some of the stereotypes that we face, but this is how we've worked around it. Um, and so it's interesting to hear that perspective with regards to tap dance or to, you know, in some ways shrink yourself to be accepted for, for me personally, that's not anything I would advocate. What I think, you know, is it's about highlighting how do we work around these challenges? And so hopefully, and I don't know if you got this reading the book, my approach is to be quite optimistic. I am someone who tries to look, all right, these are the challenges. Yes, they exist, but how can I overcome these challenges? And so what, what I've tried to do and what, what Ref's tried to do, what we've tried to do together is recognise the challenges, but present solutions around around them mm, and I, I personally definitely got that impression for the book and I, I liked I really liked the fact that there were so many um, there was input by a variety of people like as I said before it's not everybody's kind of scenarios or approach to things mm. I agreed with but I do find value in those things being put out there because not everyone thinks the same not everybody must approach the situations the same and that's one of the things that I really actually enjoyed about the book the fact that some people's approaches to things challenged me and then there were people's approaches to things actually which I had never personally thought of and even though the very act of it is doing challenging I actually did see the benefit in taking that approach and one such example um, was when India was talking about a situation where I think it was a manager's peer didn't really like her was given off a really kind of awkward vibe and just kind of being an op basically in 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 the workplace for her and instead of taking that very personally and kind of leaning into that um destructive or negative um relationship actually what she the way she approached it was from a very graceful perspective, I believe. And she set up a meeting with this person. She massaged his ego and all of a sudden he transformed his approach to her. And I think that was a really good point at which for people reading the book to kind of sit down and think mm -hmm. like how much, again, I'm coming back to this, like how much are we willing or to play this game because it is kind of a game in in a sense because in ordinary real, real life if someone is moving a bit mad or moving a bit left to me I'm just like bun you I don't really have to you know relate to you or anything I didn't need to contact you further but obviously in a working situation you can't just be just like bun you bun you and bun you do you know what I mean you still have to work in that place you still have to forge relationships and you can't constantly be leaving one job to go into another job to go into another job so I yeah. think for me that scenario was very was a very important one to include in a book especially for kind of people who are just now entering their careers maybe as new graduates because I feel like it's an approach and a perspective that mm -hmm. they might not have taken to the situation because I do feel like a lot of the younger generation now are bit headstrong and and I guess more entitled in a sense whether rightly or wrongly I just feel that that is there but sometimes there is this act of negotiating 
with darkness, so to speak, in order to get to the eventual light that you need. And I just found it fascinating that simply by massaging this guy's ego, his approach to her and perspective changed. Now, if it's just, if it was as easy as that with every person, heck, I might just do it. Do you know what I mean? Not every day die on the line or be bringing up tribunal because, yeah, bringing up tribunal because this person doesn't like me and I'm facing XYZ in a workplace. Sometimes approach it cunningly like a fox. Do you know what I mean? I I, I really agree with that, Toz, as well, because I feel like for many of the young people I work with, some of them are graduates, some of them are new to the career, going into new um, spaces and some of them are even corporate spaces. So I feel like this book really like highlights, especially with the examples, what things they may go through and what things, how they may tackle certain things. So I think that really is a good part of the book, something where they can look at and see, oh, this person dealt with it this way or this person um, had to go through this and this is what they did. And I think that really actually speaks to the book a lot about what it's trying to do in terms of, yes, we may have to work twice as hard in the workplace, but this is what people have done and this is how people have navigated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and mean, just speeding up the process. Like, don't work twice as hard for 15 years yeah. when you could just work twice as hard for five years and work smarter and actually form relationships that will actually have a productive conclusion at the end. And I think yeah. that's probably one of the key takeaways of the book. It's like, I these agree. are experiences from a variety of people. Take a look Take a look at them, read it, um, examine it in terms of how it applies to you and leave mm. the bits that you don't agree with and go with the bits that you do agree with. But ultimately do not waste your time kind of struggling through the same hurdles and things that we've all been through when these are kind of like cheat this is a cheat sheet basically in that sense yes Mm -hmm, definitely and I think you know at the end of the day it's really about learning from other people who have been there and done that Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like you said it's a cheat sheet it's it's a toolkit it's a way to get ahead um, and it's teaching us that some of the things, like some of the things we don't know, um, especially, you know, when you think about building relationships at work or leveraging mentors and sponsors and, and so on and so forth. So, I, you know, it's definitely about giving people resources that hopefully, again, like you said, the parts that they love, they can take and the parts that maybe don't work with them or align with them, they can leave. But ultimately, you're saying, look here. These are some people who are super successful and these are some ways you can continue to be successful in your career. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that is a great note to wrap up. But before we go, if you could just tell us like where we can find the book, your Instagram, your contact details, if people mm-hmm. want to get in touch with you, follow you on social media, if you could just let us know what we can do to support. Yeah, so the book can be bought online, um, or any good bookstore, so places like Amazon, Waterstone, WH Swish, you name it. Um, you can follow the book on Instagram at Twice As Hard Book, um, and follow the UK Black Business Show at UK BB Show. Um, and if you wanted to follow me, I'm opiomi.sofaluk, um, and Raphael Sofaluk on Instagram as well, and Twitter. Oh, perfect. Well, thank you, Opiome, for joining us. This is the first time we've actually spoken to someone who's written a book. So, yeah, Yeah. it's a real privilege to have you on, especially to speak speak about a book that is so pertinent to what we talk about every day 
on the mm-hmm. podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real, 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 real pleasure. Mm-hmm. And um, to you. all the listeners, big up yourself. No, seriously, thank you for listening. <laughs> and um, <laughs> remember, we can always keep the conversation going on social media. Um, so if you just use the B, hashtag BWWpodcastUK, or you can at us at Twitter or Instagram on at BWWpodcastUK. Let me get it right for Honestly, us. get through it, sis. <laughs> get through it. And... Um, yeah, we're preparing our next season, so please do email us, DM us, reach out to us if there are any topics that you really, really want us to cover. We've got some special stuff coming up in the next season where we really want you to get involved. So if that sounds like something that's interested to you, please just drop us a line at blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com. That's blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com. Well done. And if anyone else doesn't have anything else to say, shut up, Tolls. <laughs> if anyone else doesn't have anyone anything else to say, I will just sign off and just say Oh yes. no 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 I just want to remind our listeners now more than ever because actually we're out of season. Our last episode mm-hmm. of season four was released last week. I think it was last week. Mm-hmm. Um just to keep an eye on the newsletter and the socials because um, we may have we may have a few little bits in between a few bits not little bits a few bits in between um, mm-hmm. providing bits. providing Boris Johnson complies with what we want in it. Mm, <laughs> exactly. True, oh, don't talk don't talk about that dutty janker on this podcast. Oh, you know, like much. that favorite cuss. <laughs> oh. <laughs> sign up, sign up to the newsletter and keep an eye on the yes, socials please. for real, for real. Because yeah. unless we've got a let's talk about it, we're not back until September now. Mm-hmm. Oh, we know you're gonna God. miss us but you can listen to old episodes again or tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend tell a friend all right then. <laughs> and on that note guys i will yeah. see you all later okay <laughs> oh bye that's bye bye Thank you.